Hey there. Thanks for tuning in to this message from Awaken Church Canberra. We hope this word stirs your faith and gives you perspective on how God is moving in your world. <laughs> oh, I love it. Mate, I wish my wife was as excited as you are every time I get up. Good morning. Great to have everyone here. Well, how about the first thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to stand to our feet because we're going to pray for Christ Church. Uh, how about we do that? Uh, as you know, I'm sure you're very aware, it's in the media constantly right now, uh, but just that tragedy that has occurred this week. And, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for the churches of Christ Church to minister. And, uh, and that's what we're going to pray for this morning. We're going to pray for those who've been affected but equally that the Christians that are in that city will have an opportunity in the midst of this for what the devil wanted to cause for chaos, God will bring blessing. And so let's pray for that. Lord, we just uphold Christ Church to you, that great city. We pray for those who have been tragically affected by this situation. And Lord, I just can't imagine the trauma and all that's happening right now. But Lord, I just thank you. Firstly, I thank you for the police and all the emergency services that have been involved. Thank you for their bravery, their sacrifice. And uh, Lord, we just thank you. And we just pray particularly for the churches of Christ Church, Lord. We pray that, that you would give them wisdom in how to demonstrate the love of Jesus, how to extend your hand, your heart to these people. I pray, Lord, that a revival would break out in Christ Church. I pray that the gospel would be preached in that city. And Lord, that hearts would be open like never before to receive the truth. And so, Lord, we just declare that what the devil, Lord, set out for bad, that you are going to cause it to be good. And we declare that today together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Take a seat. Well, welcome. If you're new, it's great to have you. Uh, we would love you to go to the Connection Lounge, which is just outside there, and be a part of that and come and say hello. I'm going to make my best effort to get there and come and say hello to you, uh, but it's great to have you in church. This morning, we are continuing our series uh, called Awaken, the same name as the church name. Uh, so over this month, we're looking at it and we're beginning to see what it's all about. Last week, we spoke about Awaken the Individual and uh, you needing to be awakened, myself needing to be awakened to the things of God. We all need to go through that process. And uh, it's crucial that we every so often do a evaluation of our hearts, of our lives, of our relationship with God, that it's not become religious and just uh, going through the motions, but that there's actual intimate relationship with Him. There's connection. Otherwise, it is just pure religion. And we all have to visit that because we can very easily slip into, even in a church like this, we can slip into just doing the same old, same old and getting to the place where uh, God would say to us on that day that we're before him, I never knew you. It would be a tragedy to, to hear those very words thinking that you were okay. And that's why an evaluation of your heart is so important. Uh, often it's best if you get someone else to do it uh, because you'll often answer the way you want to be, not what you are. How many agree with that? You know, if you ever fill in something yourself, you'll often think to yourself as you're answering, that's what I want to be. 
and I'm gonna get there one day, so I'll answer that question, yes. But in all reality, you're not actually there. That's where the Bible says the heart is very deceptive because we can deceive ourselves. And so we need one another to, to you know, gently uh, encourage us in the way of God and in, in the ways of Him. This morning, we're gonna move from the individual to begin to talk about families, awakening families. Now, right across this room this morning, there'll be different variations of family, and some of you are in the midst of a young family, so this will be obviously quite important to you. Others of you will uh, maybe be single and not a part of a family in the sense of it's broken down or you're away from family. Please don't turn off because there'll be great keys in here for you. You may be a grandparent and have come through your raising of the family, your kids, but there's still great truth here for you in the area of imparting into even your grandchildren. So I wanna talk about this because it's incredibly crucial. The reason I'm passionate about it is because when I first became a Christian, I came out of a, it wasn't a Christian background, it was a, a formal you know, Catholic sort of situation, but it wasn't an ongoing relationship with God, it was very much a cultural religion. And, uh, and so I hadn't really met a Christian family. I didn't really know what that meant. And so, uh, so the first few times that I was invited to someone's home from the Baptist church that I'd gone to, I was so excited to see a Christian family. I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know if I was thinking they would all uh, around the meal table have a worship time with a keyboard um, I didn't know what to expect, what a Christian family actually meant. But uh, when I arrived there, I was disappointed a number of times because there wasn't a whole lot of difference between my family and the Christian family. The way that people spoke to each other was exactly the same. The, the, the tone, the language was often the same. The, the lack of God being included in certain things were the same. And so I was struggling with what is a Christian family? It wasn't until I finally got invited to a home of uh, one of the deacons of this church that I got to see what a Christian family, what I understand to be a Christian family is like. A family that did pray around the table. A family that included God in decisions that were important for the whole family. A family that the word of God was a part of their life, that it wasn't just a book that sat on the coffee table, but it was actually a part of their life. A, a family that were going to church together, that were fellowshipping with other Christians, spending time with other Christian families, that it was a, an amazing environment. And it was really from that that I was modeled how to raise my own family. And I'm so grateful to God for that. But you know, the danger is that if we don't create an understanding of what a Christian family is, then the next generations are gonna to struggle to know how to raise a Christian home. And so this morning is a little bit around that subject and hopefully by the end of it, I'm gonna give you a few keys. Now, let me just say this, I, I haven't got it all perfected. I've said it to you before, but it's, you know, I want you to understand my four boys, uh, you know, it's not like we've never had a fight uh, or they've never had a fight. It's, it's not as though me and my wife have never argued. I don't want to argue, but she does. All right, so I'm the Christian one, and uh, well, the better one, and uh, and uh, you know, and so so we do have arguments. I find the arguments happen 
uh, on the way to church. How many have found that? Often they'll happen inside the church building. Often they'll happen when you're preaching on joy. (laughs) They'll happen when you're talking on peace. Um, So I find these things occur. So I want to make it very clear to you that uh, this is not perfection talking to you this morning. This is somebody who is equally on the journey up. Is that my water there? Thank you. I've got a bit of a sore throat this morning, so please excuse me. But this is someone who's on the journey. That I, we are still learning how to be a great example, a role model of a Christian family. Our boys are now pretty much growing up, except the youngest who's still 16, uh, who now runs the house. Uh, he's the head of the home in his opinion. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're still journeying through this and now we've got daughter-in-laws, which is a whole new thing. There's more females in our house. And uh, so we've had to come to terms with that. But this morning, I wanna just talk about a Christian home. Proverbs 13, 22 says this. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. How many want to be a good man or a good woman? Lift your hand. You know, I'm sure that everyone in this room, if I said to you, do you want to be a good man or a bad man, good woman or bad man, you would say, I want to be good. Well, the scripture simply says this, that a good man leaves an inheritance. Well, we all want to leave an inheritance. That, that's, that's part of the goal. The part of the goal is that we are working towards not just our own life, but the next generation's. A lot of overseas cultures understand this better than we do. And some of you may be sitting here who have come from other cultures understand this, that many people uh, that I meet from, particularly Asian countries, have an understanding that they are genuinely working for the next generation. That everything they do is in that mindset. So the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance not only to his children, but to his children's children. In other words, it's a long-term goal. It's a long-term goal here. So whatever inheritance you're choosing to give, it's an inheritance that's gonna go well beyond your time here on earth. You want it to continue to live on. Now, I believe what the Bible's talking about is not an inheritance as in a car or a house or a boat or cash money whatever you want to call it, I believe the Bible is talking about a relationship with God that's real, an intimate relationship with God, how to live out this Christianity, how to, how to demonstrate that when Christ came to the earth and walked the earth, he gave us an example of how to live out Christianity. It was a model for you and I, and, and our children and their children are looking for a model in how to live Christianity. So to have that sort of family that you want to see reproduced. Now the thing is this, you can only reproduce who you are. Now I know that sounds very deep, but let me bring it down a bit. You can only reproduce who you are. The makeup of my children are myself and my wife. No one else was included. So my children are made up of some of me, and some of my wife. It's the makeup of us that made them up. So therefore, whatever is within me, my, 
my belief systems, my values, my, my uh, tastes, my, my interests, all those things are somehow caught and transferred and added along with Rachel to make up our children. We can only reproduce who we are. We can't reproduce what we want to be. We can only reproduce what we are. So therefore, the type of relationship you have with God, the type of family that you display and live, that is what you're going to reproduce. Does that make sense? They're gonna model from what you are producing. And so this is crucial that you decide what type of family you wanna have and how it looks. Joshua made a declaration because he had decided what sort of family he was gonna have. In Joshua 24, 15, it says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was a declaration that he was making. It was, a, it was a, uh, an intersection that he came to and all the people were brought to. If you wanna serve the gods of the past, if you wanna serve the gods of your forefathers and of this land, then go ahead, you serve them. But for me and my household, you notice he included the entire household in his decision because he understood that his decision he was leaving an inheritance for not only his children, but his children's children. He said, as for me and my household, we're gonna serve the Lord. It was a powerful declaration and a declaration that every father sitting in this room should make. It's a declaration that needs to be made in the spirit with a strong conviction, which we're going to look at. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. If you're here as a, as a mother and your husband isn't here or doesn't attend church or if you're a single mother, you equally can make that decision this morning. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. We're gonna serve the Lord. It's a declaration. How many agree with that? Come on. We're gonna serve the Lord. That's it. We're gonna serve the Lord. Now that is more than a plaque on the wall. See, I would go into these Christian homes and they would have these type of things on the wall, the, the, the Christian memorabilia. You know, honk if you love Jesus and all those ones, you know. And they would have that plaque on the wall, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua, da, da, da. But yet the outworking of that wasn't actually happening because the Lord was the silent partner. He was so silent, he didn't exist but they had the plaque on the wall that I suppose made them feel as though it was okay because they had said that we were gonna serve the Lord, but in practical terms, the children were being modeled an inheritance that wasn't what the plaque was commanding. So let's talk about some of those things as we move into families. I wanna talk about a three-step process of how we get to that place and how we need to. The first one is, with any of these things, we start with a conviction. A conviction. You know, to start with, we need to, in our own personal relationship, which was talked about last week, we need to start with a conviction. 
A conviction is a powerful thing. When someone has a conviction, they're, they're passionate people. There's always passion around a conviction. Another word for conviction is a strong persuasion. They're fixed, and I love this term, immovable. Immovable. When you have a conviction, you are immovable. And you will not sway and compromise to whatever comes your way. As a Christian family, there should be conviction that's around the family. There needs to be conviction. And that conviction you will not always be popular for. See, when I became a father, I had to realize quickly that there's a big difference between being a father and a friend. There are numbers of parents that wanna be their kids' friends but they forget to be the parent. They wanna be cool and they wanna be acceptable, but they don't actually wanna be a person of conviction because often conviction makes you unpopular with your kids. I don't know if anyone's ever felt that. So we had numbers of convictions in our family. What you could watch, I had convictions around. I was very strict on what my children could watch. And my wife, we had the same conviction, but there were certain uh, movies, television shows, cartoons, whatever, that we personally, and I don't preach those things to you, and I'm not gonna have the 20 lists up here, you know, the, the 20 names of every cartoon that you shouldn't watch, all right? Because the problem with that is that I'm trying to force my conviction to you. That's not your conviction. I can pray for revelation for you, but I can't, force my conviction to you. So I had a conviction about that stuff. My wife had a conviction. So often our kids would come and say, Dad, can I go to the movies? They always knew it was gonna be a tough gig. As they got older, they would research the movie, come with documentation. <laughs> because I would have, you know, I would have a number of different sites that I would go on and critique the movie and look at the movie and see what the movie's made up. Uh, the reason for that is because my conviction is that when you create something, part of you is put into that creation. See, that's a conviction. So when God created, there's a part of him in everything he created. So the creator has a piece of them that's in the creation. So I wanna know who created this stuff. I wanna know what their motivation was, what is the, what's behind it. So my kids would hate that. They'd say, oh, okay, Dad, here we go. But they'd always say this, everyone else is doing it. You ever had that one? And it's even worse when they say, and all the kids from church are doing it. That's even worse. And then they say, and the youth pastor said it was all right. It's even worse. So we went through all this because my other conviction is this, what might be right for some may not be right for me. See, just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean it's right for me because I'm led by the Holy Spirit for my life. I, I can't go by the crowd, the culture of the day. I, I've got to be led by the Spirit of God. And I, I, the way I'm led is very simple. I'm sort of digressing, but I'm hoping this helps. The way that I'm led personally is what I call the uh-uh. 
You'll find it in the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Arabic. <laughs> but I call it the ah uh-uh. So when I go to do something, I, 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 the Holy Spirit says, ah! And you know what? When you and I get to that place, we have a choice. We can either choose to ignore the ah, or we can choose to be obedient to the Spirit. Thank you. But it's true. Most of us, we try and push the ah back. Have you ever tried to do that? I've done it. You justify it. It's amazing how quickly you justify. Have you found it? How good you are at it. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you're arguing against God. I don't know if you realize, but you'll probably lose. But keep trying. But you begin to debate with God. You know, Lord, you don't understand. This is okay. You haven't seen it. Whatever, you go into all this stuff. But with a conviction, you have a strong persuasion. You're fixed. You're immovable. We need families, Christian families, that have conviction. That's what we need. Not preference, because preference is always movable and will find comfort. There's a big difference between saying, I'm, I have a conviction and I have a preference. I prefer not to watch these things because they're not good for me. That opens you up to, well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But when you say, I can't, because I have a conviction, then that's the way it is. And it will make you unpopular. I just wanna make something really clear. If you're one of those people who like to write down prophetic words, here's one for you. You will be unpopular, says the Lord. You will be misunderstood, he says as well. I have got up out of movies and walked out I'm not saying I'm any better than anyone else, but I just want to listen to the ah ah. And I've been with a row of Christian people. And as I've got up, they've all went, oh, okay, here we go. Super Spiro. But what might be right for some isn't right for me. But see, I want to be a vessel that's holy and want to be used by God. God is looking for holy vessels, holy families that he can flow through. But that's gonna cost you something. And that's where we have conviction. Conviction then leads to the second one, which is priority. When you have a conviction, your conviction now makes way for priorities. If you have your priorities before conviction, they'll always be moved around. But the second one is priority. It's something that is very important and must be dealt with before other things. There's an urgency around priorities. As a Christian family, once you have a conviction that we are a family that's going to pray. Now listen to me, I don't want you to think for a moment that every night we pray as a family, even when they were kids. So please don't get the imagery that we're this, you know, amazing family, we have our meal quietly. Four boys. That's a miracle to begin. It's like a pig trough on some occasions, you know. And, um, and I want you to know it's not like 
Blessed be thou, mother, thank you for thy meal. You know, and everyone's quiet. And then I say, how about we bow our heads, hold our hands? And every night, dear Jesus, we thank you for your love that fills our family. It's so gracious. And then all of a sudden, one of our boys stands and begins to prophesy. <laughs> Thus says the Lord. You know, and then another one breaks out with a healing, word of knowledge. We take up an offering, of course. <laughs> we even know who doesn't give. I want you to understand it's not that picture. So please, because sometimes, you know, I've listened to speakers and I go home feeling, can, you know, terrible. I'm like this, man, am I really a Christian dad? I mean, far out. It's not like that at all. Some, some nights, as parents would know, you're just surviving. Some nights you want them fed and bed. Sometimes dead, no. <laughs> but there's just some, you know, it doesn't all work in the pattern. You know, sometimes I've, I've even tried, I've listened to a speaker and then I'm all pumped up and I get the Bible and I sit down at the meal table, you know, and, and uh, when the boys were really young and I'd sit down and I'd go, and they go, oh, not again. That wasn't what the speaker said. Everyone in the speaker's world were receptive to the Word of God. But my kids are throwing food at each other in the middle of the Word. But we have attempted on the large issues to include God. Location change, job change, sickness in the family. We lay hands on each other ever since they were young. It's a priority to me. It's a, it's a conviction that makes a priority. That we would, you know, if one of our boys was sick, that I'd get the other boys to lay hands on them. Even at an incredibly young age, You heard the story, but my oldest boy became a Christian when he was five. He prayed the prayer and got baptized in the Spirit. And then Jared, who was one, 13 months younger, his older brother led him to the Lord. And, and so they were used to just praying for each other. And so we would just make the supernatural natural because it was a conviction. It wasn't spooky. They just thought that's what you do. You're sick. You pray for each other because that was our conviction in the family. That's the inheritance that we were passing on to the point, I may have told you this story before, but to the point where uh, when, when Caleb went to preschool, it was an Anglican preschool and uh, I didn't even think about anything. I just thought, you know, Christian school, uh, preschool, great. So we sent him off. He was three years old and in he went to preschool. And uh, anyway, at the end of the first day, I was excited to pick him up, went along and uh, the head of it called me over. I thought, man, he's in trouble already. This is coming from his mum's side. <laughs> I do love my wife. I just want to let you know, if you're visiting this morning, you're probably thinking, man, this guy doesn't like his wife. No, I love all three of my wives. No, no, that's not true. <laughs> I, love, I love my wife. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but at the end of the... At the end of the first day, she calls me over and she says, can I see you for a moment, Mr. Hansy? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I can't, he's three years old, what could he have done? So I'm walking over and she goes, um, just a question. I said, yes. She said, um, Caleb fell over um, during the day and he came over to me and stood next to me. I said, oh, okay. And he, he was taking my hand and putting it on his head. <laughs> this is true. 
I said, right. She said, what is that? And it was like she was asking, is this some sort of unknown, weird, cultish act? I don't know what she was thinking. And, uh, and I said, well, actually, he wants you to pray for him. Oh, okay. Right. I said, so, you know, he's just used to it because in our family, whenever the kids are hurt, they come to us and we just lay our hands on them and just quickly pray. It's nothing, you know, blah, 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 just quick. And he goes, right. Well, I'm not used to the practice, um, but maybe we should introduce that. So Caleb, being three years old, was the cause of introducing praying for kids who were sick because it was a conviction in our home that made a priority so that the very first thing we grabbed was not the Band-Aids or this or that. The very first thing we did as a priority was to pray. Are you getting this? See, I can go right through a whole lot of priorities, but conviction will always produce priority. If, if reading the Bible to your family is a priority, you'll make time for it. Listen to me, fathers. If praying for your kids at night is a priority, you'll get off the lounge and stop watching television. Mm. You know, I, I just meet so many men, it's like, ah, uh, you know, uh, that's not my thing. I love when men say that. I say, do you pray for your kids? That's not my thing. Whose thing is it? It's my wife's thing. What's the thing? You know, the thingy thing. I say, no, no, you, you were called to be the priest in the home. The priest is to be the mediator between God and man, to, to get something from the Lord and to administer, minister to people. I said, so it's not hard for you to go in at night when you're home and to go in and just pray for your kids. Because if you will build a relationship with their young, they'll come to you when they're older, when they need help. Now again, I didn't get this perfect, but it was a, it was a conviction that made it a priority. So every night when I was home and I would, and this is how much of a conviction it was and a priority to me, that I would even make sure the meetings that I had at night, and as a pastor, there are many meetings, I would make sure the meetings at night were after their bedtime. Because I wanted to be home for that moment of prayer. And so I would go in their room and we just gather together. And I, I love kids' prayers. How many love kids' prayers? They're awesome. It's just nothing like your prayers. I remember once being in the Christian school, I would often go into the Christian school in Wollongong and, and they would have the assembly, you know, where the kids are, the younger kids, it was so much fun. And they would have an open microphone, I loved it. Always give kids open microphones. And, you know, it was prayer. So they would come up, you know, kindergarten and they'd all line up and they'd have the microphone and they were allowed to pray one prayer. And you just never knew what you were gonna get. And some of the favourites of mine were, um, Jesus, um, help daddy to come back in mummy's room and everyone was just <laughs> or the really confusing ones one kid would get up and say Lord I pray that you would bring rain tomorrow for the farmers and the next guy would get up and say Lord I don't want any rain tomorrow <laughs> and the Lord's going oh 
But kids pray the most awesome prayers, but it's at those moments that you build a relationship. And I wanna tell you something, the reason that Caleb at 25 years of age still confides in me is not because I'm a better dad than anyone else, but because I made a priority of investing in his life when he was young so that it's natural now for me and him to open up to each other. But I have so many people come and say, oh, my 16-year-old won't talk to me. They won't communicate with me. And my question always is, did you sow in in the early years? Now, again, this is not condemning. I'm just trying to highlight to you that if you have a conviction, it makes a priority. And I had many times where I said, sorry, I can't make the meeting until eight o'clock tonight because I need to pray with my boys before I come out. And people would say, oh, come on, just one night. But because it was a priority, I would make sure that it was something that was important to me. And after priority comes behavior. And this is what I'm talking about. It now produces an action. Something has to change in your world. If you have a conviction about something, there has to come a behavior. There has to be. If you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, it has to change your life. It has to change the way you live. You know, if I meet people and they say, I'm a Christian and they're living a lifestyle that's completely away from him and no acknowledgement of him and all this. I'm not talking about having a bad day, but living a lifestyle constantly in, a, in a opposing the word of God. Then my question is, where is the fruit of the decision? Because a conviction will make a priority that produces a behavior. So if you're desiring to build a Christian family, then there has to be Jesus somewhere. There has to be. There has to be somewhere where you're standing up. If, you're a, if your grandparents here today, then when events are held in your home, then unless there's absolute you know, chaos, I encourage you to pray for the meal. It might take a bit of courage, but my, my uh, father-in-law does it all the time. And, not all of uh, Rachel's family are saved. They've, many of them are backslidden. And, uh, and so every time there's a family gathering, he stands up. He's not a confident man at all. He's quite, in, uh, you know, uh, lacks a lot of confidence, but he stands up before the meal. All right, we're gonna pray. And you just see everyone go, you know. Why? Because he has a conviction. This is his home. And he wants Jesus to be a part of what he's doing. And so it makes a priority and it creates a behavior. I just am, I'm sharing this message with you this morning because I, just, to, just to challenge our hearts that what does it mean to you to have a Christian home? If you're a young person here today, this is some wisdom for you for the future. What does it mean to have Christ at the center of your house? What does it mean to have them in your, Jesus in your kids and around your kids? Because if you'll teach the, your children the ways of the Lord, they won't depart from it, but you gotta teach them the ways of the Lord. It's not just a promise, it's, you've got to do, actually do something. And here's just a few really quick things, five minutes and I'm done. Just some practical keys that may help. Number one is teach. I don't have slides, just I wrote these down this morning. The first one is teach. The responsibility of teaching the ways of God to your children are not the Christian school and it's not kids church. It's you. It's the parent. Thank God for those who send their kids to Christian school as we did. They do a great job. 
but it's not their sole responsibility to be the ministers of the things of God to my children. Equally, our, our kids' church done a great job with our children when they were younger, but I didn't see it as the sole responsibility of the kids' church. I believe it was my and my wife's responsibility to teach our children in the ways of the Lord. Number two is church attendance. For us, in ministry or out of ministry, our number one conviction is that church is important. Our kids need to be in church. They need to understand that this is what we do. We love it. We were very careful not to belittle church in front of our children. I, I, I don't think we've ever, in front of our kids, ever brought the church down or the people of the church down in front of our children. We're very careful of that because we don't wanna reproduce that as an inheritance. What happens is if you speak negatively about the church and about people around your kids, you'll find they don't want to go to church. The reason being is why would they when you're speaking death instead of life about the place? So we were very careful to make sure that if we had to deal with something, we would find a separate space and we would keep our children from that conversation. We wouldn't include them around the dinner table like, oh, wow, Sunday was a joke. Oh, the preacher. Mate, he needs to open the Bible a little bit more, that guy, and the music was horrendous. You know, so the kids are sitting there going, oh, yeah. So the second one is, you know, church was important to us. We would send our kids to every youth camp, every, every possible thing to position them for a move of God. We wanted to make sure that our children understood that to serve in the house was a priority and a privilege to serve. It wasn't something you had to do, it was something you'd want to do. But all of this, we, we, would, we would invest in their hearts. And I'm not saying, you know, you can do all these things, and please hear this, you can do all these things and your kids could still have seasons of falling away from God. It's not to condemn. But I believe if we do things right, then it gives them a great chance, a great chance. Thank God all of our four boys are in church this morning. They don't wanna miss church, so, but, but they don't know anything else because we've never made that an option. They love it. You know, when they turned 16, I thought, oh, they're gonna give us a hard time. 18, they might say, that's it, we're not going anymore. But they just wanted to keep coming because of the house of God. Number three, speak blessing over them. Speak blessing over your kids, your grandkids. Speak life, not death. On Friday, I spoke to a, a group of young people and uh, I said, numbers of you have been told that you're a mistake. You're a mistake. You know, it might be just a throwaway line, but numbers of them, I felt, had been told, oh, you were a mistake. You weren't meant to happen. I said, others of you are struggling with just words that your parents have spoke to you, words of you're hopeless, you're not gonna achieve anything. You're, you're never gonna get better at that. And there was probably 70 young people in the, in the auditorium and look, over half came forward crying their eyes out because of the words of death. So you have the opportunity to speak words of life. I used to say to my boys, they thought I was crazy, but I would prophesy to them when they were like two and three. I'd say, you're gonna be a mighty man of God, Caleb. Jared, you're gonna change the world. 
You're gonna change the world, son. And say to Daniel, Daniel, you were called Daniel because you will not bow down to the ways of this world. Noah, you're gonna build an ark. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) But I would just speak life over them, even now, speaking life. This morning I woke up and I sent messages to my boys. I do it regularly. You're a great man. Now again, not perfect. There's been words of death that I've spoken, but you know the best thing you can do is go and apologise. You know, in the heat of the moment when you're, when you're angry or frustrated, sometimes you say things to your kid like, ah, get away from me. You know, or just, you know, just words of death. You know what I'm talking I'm not gonna say too much, but just words that you go, oh man, what did I say that for? Well, rather than just letting it sit, the most powerful thing you can do is go over and say, you know what? Later on, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that was just wrong. I should never have done it. Can I pray that that has no effect over you? Because I didn't believe that word and I don't want it to affect you. I've done that so many times. The power of words. Number four, pray for your family. Don't just expect blessing, pray for it. Pray for the protection every morning of your family. Pray for the blessing of God. Actually pray for your family. And then finally, create what is called the family altar, a place where God is a part of your family, where you just stop for a moment, just say, we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray because I've got a big decision to make or we're looking at doing something or this is happening, kids are deciding something. Get into their world with God. Use something practical to include God in. It's really important. It's amazing how they come to you when they need it. You know, Noah, who's 16, he's right now, he's cool. There is no one cooler on the earth right now than my 16-year-old son. He he has reached the pinnacle of coolness. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not quite as receptive right now for me to pray for him, whatever, even though I do it anyway. And I give him a big kiss every time hates it and uh, but it was interesting because the other day he had a, a, a little mole thing on his on his nose and the doctor said you better you need to go to a specialist to get that checked out so he was a little bit anxious about that so I said I'll take you he said okay dad so we're driving there in the car to the specialist and we're just about there and he goes um you pray for me I said and I just wanted to wind it up a bit you know I said, sorry? He said, oh, you pray for me? I said, sure, what are we praying about? You know. I said, no, I don't know. What are you, what are you? Oh, as if you don't know. I said, no, I don't know. He said, this. I said, all right, what are we praying for? Oh, what are we praying for? What do you think we're praying for? I said, that you want it to get bigger? He said, no. I said, you want me to pray that that there's nothing dangerous about that thing and that it's gonna shrink instead of getting bigger? He said, yes. I said, all right. See, when when you bring them in that place, they'll call out, they'll cry out, but it's gotta be a conviction. It's gotta become a priority and it's gotta turn into a behavior. Amen.
Again, please, I've finished, but I just want to say to you, don't walk out of here, whatever you do, going, oh, you know, terrible dad, terrible mom, terrible grandparent. Please don't do that. But maybe there's one thing that you can take from this message that could help you this week. Maybe it's just the way you speak. Don't speak the way that they are. Speak the way you want them to be. Prophesy over their beds when they're not there. Was that helpful? I'm really hoping that was helpful. You know, before we leave, I'm going to just do something because I don't want you to walk out with a heaviness on this. But maybe this morning you just want to, you realize, man, I've done some stuff that just hasn't been hasn't been good. I need some help here. I want you to stand to your feet. I just want to pray for you right where you are. I'm not going to ask you what it is. I'm not going to condemn you. But, you know, if you're just saying, look, I just want some help in this. I need the Lord to help me to be a better parent, a grandparent. I, I want to get a hold of some of these things. I, I need to break some mindsets. Maybe I need to apologize for some things to my kids or my grandkids or whatever. I don't know what it is, but the Lord will give you a strategy. Is there anyone else before we leave? Thank you to those people who felt led by the Lord. It's, it's got to be the Holy Spirit. It's got to be Him. It really does. And I appreciate the courage, the honesty. And by standing doesn't mean you're a bad parent. Matter of fact, it means you're a great parent. Because it means that you're saying, I need to help. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for every one of these people. I thank you that you have challenged their hearts. And I pray this morning that you would firstly... Let them know the grace and love of God. Let them know that, Lord, they haven't failed, but they've learned some new revelation this morning. And now they're empowered to do things differently. I pray that if you there is a strategy that's needed, that you would give it to them, that you would make it clear to them. I pray particularly for the men of this church, the Christian men, that they would be men of conviction, men of priorities and it would be worked out in behaviour and I pray a blessing over every family that's attached to this church may they be awakened to the things of your spirit and Lord we give you praise and honour in Jesus name everyone said Amen Amen come on give God a great hand of praise This has been another great message from Awaken Church Canberra. We'd love to see you at one of our locations soon. 